This is something that uh, the Apostle Paul taught us because he realized where he stood. God helped him to see that. Here Paul is talking about how in order to get the gospel across to people so that as many people as possible could be saved, he talked about how he had to sort of change his attitude and his approach to different cultures. He says here to the Jews, I became like a Jew. So he knew exactly how to preach the gospel to people who were Jews. He says, uh, to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those, the Jews who were under the law, the law of Moses, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law of Moses, he's talking about here, the Old Testament law, so as to win those who were under the law. Verse 21, to those not having the law, Gentiles, they didn't grow up learning the Ten Commandments and all the uh, 600 some laws of the Old Covenant. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So there's the perspective that we need to have, just as the Apostle Paul had. We're not under the law of the Old Testament. That was an agreement between God and Israel, and it has faded away now. But Paul says that he is under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. So Paul explains his transition from being a devout Jew under the terms of the Old Covenant to being a spirit-led follower of Jesus. The Apostle Paul teaches us that Christians were never under the law of Moses. Since we have been made one with Christ, we now serve God in a new way, in a better way. The way of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Not in the old way of the law of Moses. We are under a new law, the law of Christ. So let's learn a little bit more about what that means. The law of Moses given to Israel on Mount Sinai, including the Ten Commandments, was to be administered by the Levitical priesthood. When Jesus came as a high priest forever, he replaced the Le Levitical priesthood and with it the law it was based on. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. The whole book of Hebrews is all about Jesus and his new priesthood. He is our high priest. We don't look to Jerusalem anymore. We don't look for the priesthood that used to be there because it's not there anymore. It all went away when, as we heard uh, many months ago, Jerusalem was invaded by the Roman army in 70 AD. And the whole temple mount was destroyed. There was no more temple. There was no more priesthood. So that's for all intents and purposes when the old covenant finally disappeared. So what it says here in uh, Hebrews 7 verse 11, talking about Jesus, and without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. He's talking about how Jesus became a high priest to replace the Levitical priesthood. I have the wrong verse here, verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people, 
Why was there still a need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. So as Jesus arrived now as high priest, not the Levitical priesthood, since he arrived having this responsibility and authority now, there has to be a change in the law. So the law of Moses is gone, especially for our concern, and the law of the priesthood of Jesus Christ is now in force. So who do we look to? We don't, like the Jews, look to Jerusalem and look for some sort of a priesthood from there. Jesus Christ is our high priest. He is the one that we look to, and it's his law, the law of Christ, that we follow. Jesus introduced this law of Christ to us in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, we know the story where somebody comes and asks Jesus the question. Now, this was a man who was founded in the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, okay, because he was a Jew speaking to Jesus. And he asked Jesus a question here. Matthew 22, verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, one of them, an expert in the law, the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, tested him with this question. Teacher, he asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, now notice he doesn't mention any of the Ten Commandments. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets, the whole Old Testament looked forward to this new command. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So he's introducing the law of Christ. So our job as believers now is not to look back to the Old Testament and all the laws and rules and regulations and try to live by them. It's already been proven that you can't live by them. That's the whole history of Israel. Jesus introduces a new law. You know what, it's very simple. But on the other hand, it goes deep. It goes deeper than any of the Ten Commandments or of the Old Testament law. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's simple. That's easy to memorize. It's easy to remember. It's a very simple law. This is the law of Christ. But you know what? In so many respects, this goes deeper as far as what's required of us. I can, according to the Ten Commandments, avoid stealing something from somebody, but that doesn't mean that I love them like I love myself. I can avoid committing adultery with somebody's mate, but that doesn't mean that I love them. See, this goes deeper. The Ten Commandments were physical acts, but it had nothing to do with love and hatred and things like that. The law of Christ goes deeper and it's more demanding. But as I'm going to show you, we can obey it because we're not obeying it on our own. The only way you can obey the law of Christ is with help from God. 
The law of Christ is meant for somebody who has the Holy Spirit in them. That's the only way you can obey the law of Christ. That's the only way that you can love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have the God of love dwelling in you. That's the only way it can be accomplished. Now, I can go back to the Old Testament days and avoid killing someone and avoid stealing from someone and, and all of these things, but that doesn't mean that I love them. It doesn't mean that I love God or that I love my neighbor. The law of Christ goes much deeper and it's much more demanding, and the only way you can keep it is if you have the Holy Spirit in you. That's how we obey the law of Christ. We've got the Holy Spirit in us, guiding us along the way. Are we going to make mistakes? Sure, we're going to make mistakes. But every day, the longer we're Christians, the more the Holy Spirit is in us and working with us and directing us in the right way. Sometimes that little voice in our, in our heads saying, you really shouldn't do that because that's not pleasing to God. You know, you shouldn't cut this guy off in traffic. You shouldn't push this person out of the way to get a better place in line. You know, you shouldn't hold bad feelings about other people. You shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. But you know what, the law of Christ is more positive. The Old Testament, you know, the Ten Commandments, it's thou shalt not. Thou shalt not do that either. And you shall not do this other thing. The law of Christ is positive. It's about loving God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. The whole perspective is different. So Jesus introduces the law of Christ. I'd like to show you another example where John actually takes it a little bit further. We'll look at 1 John chapter 3. Not the Gospel of John, but these are the epistles of John, back toward the back of your Bible. You got first and second Peter, and you got first, second, and third John. We're looking at first John chapter three and verse twenty-one. First John three and verse twenty-one, John teaches us a little bit more about the law of Christ. He's speaking to Christians now. He's not speaking to Old Testament Israelites. There's a big difference. The Old Testament Israelites never had the Holy Spirit. So God, all God expected of them were simple do's and don'ts. And they failed at that, just as we would have too. But now that we're Christians and now that we have God's Holy Spirit, more is expected of us. But God gives us the wherewithal to do it, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And don't forget, when the Holy Spirit dwells in us, Jesus and God the Father also dwell in us because God is one. You can't split God up in pieces, okay? So we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So here's our instructions. Dear friends, speaking to fellow Christians, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands. Not the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the law of Christ here. We ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command. The law of Christ we're talking about here. This is his command. To believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. So instead of here talking about loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, he's explaining here what it means to love God with your heart, soul, and mind. 
And the chief way we do that, the chief way we demonstrate our love for God with all of our heart, soul, and mind is to what? Verse 23, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. So we demonstrate our love for God by believing in Jesus as our Savior. It pleases God greatly when we have faith in Jesus Christ. So the Father is not afraid to put the spotlight on his son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit puts the spotlight on Jesus Christ. So what are we to do? To believe. Not only that Jesus Christ lived and still lives, but furthermore, that he died to pay the penalty for our sins, that he was buried, he rose from the dead, proving himself to be truly God and to have the power over death, and then ascended back up to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. By believing that, by depending on that, by putting our confidence in that for our own salvation, by accepting him as our personal savior, we are loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. That's the law of Christ. So you get it? Jesus said, love the Father. How do we love the Father? John tells us this, by looking to Jesus as the one he sent to be our savior, believing that he truly is the son of God and he is our hope. That's the law of Christ. So that's what we're called on to do, to love God, to love our neighbor as ourself. The law of Christ isn't just another set of do's and don'ts. You know, when I first learned that about the old covenant being done away with, it doesn't apply to us. Okay, where's my set of rules? <laughs> because as humans, that's what we want, a, a set of do's and don'ts. And a lot of the times we mess up trying to do that anyway. So there's not a Ten Commandments of the New Testament. There's not a Ten Commandments of Jesus. It's very simple. Now, there are scriptures that tell us about the kind of conduct that is characteristic of a person who's under the law of Christ. Let's look at an example. You know, Pastor John, where's my Ten Commandments of the New Testament? Well, they're spread out throughout the New Testament, but let's look at Galatians 5 and verse 22. You want to know what it looks like to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself? Here's a good passage. They're not numbered 1 through 10, but verse 22 of Galatians 5. It says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Why? Because they make up the law of Christ. These and other passages like them. So that's how we should be living exemplifying these traits that are mentioned for us. So the law of Christ is more than rules and regulations. The law of Christ involves a complete reordering of one's life, a total change of heart, a change of mind, a change of intent and purpose brought on by the Holy Spirit that's at work in us. 
You know, you can keep the Ten Commandments and be the most miserable, nasty, cantankerous person that you want to be. But see, the law of Christ is different. It's changing us from the outside in and bringing about a great transformation in our lives. That's the law of Christ. So if I talk to somebody and they say, are you saved? And I say, yes, I am. Not only am I saved, I'm in Christ. And they'll say, well, what, you know, what's your favorite of the Ten Commandments? Well, sorry, I don't have any favorites with that. I obey the law of Christ. <laughs> and then expect to get into a big discussion with that person. Because you know what? There's a lot of churches that don't talk about the law of Christ. There's a lot of Christian churches today that direct their people back to the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were a very basic law. It was the law of God indeed, but it was a law for people who didn't have the Holy Spirit. And you can kind of force yourself to obey those Ten Commandments from time to time and you know, pick out one that you would work on for a, a month or a year and then try to move on to the next one, but it's not really changing you. It's something you're doing by your own effort, the Ten Commandments, and sometimes with a nasty, wrong attitude about you. That's not what God is working in our lives today as his sons and daughters. Look at another verse here in Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Romans 10, verse 4. As far as the Old Testament law is concerned, I said it was just temporary, it was for people who did not have the Holy Spirit, who their obedience to law was just kind of surface, and they failed in it anyway. They brought a curse upon themselves, as we all did. But Paul says here in Romans 10, verse 4, listen to this. Christ is the end of the law. He's talking about the Old Testament law. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So I said when Jesus came the first time, that was bringing about the end of the old covenant. And it surely did come to an end. And it brought in the new covenant. Remember when Jesus sat down with the apostles at the Last Supper? He says, this is the cup of the new covenant. There's something new starting now. The old is, is gone away, it's disappearing, and it totally disappeared when the whole system was wiped off the face of the earth by the Roman army in 70 AD. The temple was gone, the priesthood was gone, So Paul says here, Christ is the end of the law. That Old Testament law doesn't apply to us anymore. It's a new law. And notice, the Old Testament law was just for ancient Israel. The new law, the law of Christ, brings righteousness. The Old Testament didn't do that because everybody failed in keeping it and brought a death penalty upon themselves. Now righteousness is going to be for everyone who believes. The Old Testament was just for Israel. The New Testament, the New Covenant, is for all people. Jews, Gentiles, whoever. Men, women, whoever. So it's a change. The Old Covenant law was temporary. This law is permanent. And it's for all people. That's why the law had to change.
But the good news is God gives you the wherewithal, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to accomplish this. And we're all growing in our love for God and the love for our fellow man. And just as he said, Christianity, what's that about? It's, it's about looking at people, feeling for people, what they're going through in their life, trying to be there for a word of encouragement or whatever kind of help. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. And it's not just restaurants. It's the people you work with, everybody you know. The law of Christ can be summarized this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the best way to love God is putting your faith in Jesus Christ, his son. And also we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And in order to live by the law of Christ, you must have the Holy Spirit. And as a branch, as we know the story from Jesus, we need to remain connected to the vine. It is impossible to live this life obeying the law of Christ on your own. That's why God never gave anything like that to ancient Israel. It was simple do's and don'ts. Don't steal, don't murder, you know, don't use God's name in vain. But God is now changing us totally. And he gives us the wherewithal to obey it. So believers today, that's you and me, are under the law of Christ and as such, they are not considered sinners because the Spirit makes believers into children of God. Notice in Romans uh, 4, beginning in verse 6. Romans 4, beginning in verse 6. He quotes uh, the psalm, the writings of David here. Romans 4, 6, Paul says this. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. So don't forget, that's us. In the Old Testament, the Israelites tried to earn righteousness by their keeping of the law. That didn't work. God knew it wouldn't work from the start. So things have changed now. With the coming of Jesus Christ, how do we get righteousness? We get righteousness from Jesus Christ. What we could never earn from, by, from keeping the law, we have received righteousness as a free gift by claiming Jesus as our personal savior. And you know what? Old Testament righteousness by law keeping was never gonna bring about your salvation. First of all, because you failed miserably but there was never a promise of salvation by keeping the Old Testament law. The salvation comes by having righteousness, not of your own, not of the law, by claiming Jesus as your savior. He credits his righteousness, his perfection in the law to us. Amen. And he quotes the, the, the Psalm here, and this applies to us, and man, every time I read this, I get kind of choked up about it because this is what God is applying to us. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man or woman whose sin the Lord will never count against him or her. Have we sinned? Sure we have. We all have and we still do it from time to time. But what Jesus has done by his death on the cross, he has proclaimed us not guilty. 
like being in a law, in a court of law, and there you are on trial. You know you're guilty. You know you committed the sins. But what Jesus does through his death on the cross is he proclaims us not guilty. Amen. He has taken our guilt upon himself. He has taken our penalty upon himself. And he paid it all on our behalf. You know what? That's why they call it good news. Gospel means good news. And it is really good news for each and every one of us. And you know what? It's also good news for every person on earth who has ever lived. Amen. The problem is they don't believe it. But it's true. This is what we believe. This is the role Jesus has played in each of our lives. And a lot of people say, that can't be true. We got to pay something. We got we to gotta obey. We got we, we to somehow earn our righteousness, you know, by doing good things. And no, you can never have the righteousness necessary for salvation. It has to be Jesus' righteousness. That's the only righteousness that will get you saved. And, you know, still people think that when Jesus returns, they're going to set up the scales. They're going to put your good deeds on one end and your sins on the other end with the hopes that somehow it's going to balance out in your favor. That's not how you'll ever get to heaven. And a lot of people are going to come to a rude awakening at the time of the judgment. Because the only way you can get to heaven is by having Jesus' perfect righteousness credited to you. Whatever righteousness you could ever try to muster up by doing good things, it will never get you into heaven. Never. There was a prophet who said, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. That was Isaiah who said that. And it's true. Because nothing you can ever do can get you eternal life in the kingdom of God. The only thing and this becomes a stumbling block for a lot of people. The only thing that will get you there is Jesus' righteousness. And you've got to claim that righteousness. You've got to humble yourself, repent, admit you're a sinner, and ask Jesus to be your savior. So how can God count us righteous if we still sin? They think, surely I must stop sinning before God can count me righteous. The reality is that we are all pitiful, wretched, and hopeless sinners without God. Only God can make us righteous, and he loves us so much that he took steps to do just that. He does it because he is good. He does it by his grace, not because we deserve it, not bec or because we don't. We have no righteousness of our own, and the only pathway to God's righteousness is through faith in Jesus. By his grace, through faith in Jesus, God forgives our sins and credits Jesus' righteousness to us. And God wants his children to love as he loves, not merely to conform to a standard of conduct like the Old Testament. Jesus repeatedly condemned those who merely conformed to the letter of the law, but whose hearts were without the love of God. Amen. Remember, he said, your righteousness must exceed the righteousnesses of the Pharisees. And they were the ones who tried to do everything perfectly, according to the law. But you've got to have Jesus' righteousness to make it. The law of Moses must step aside to make room for the new way of the Spirit. 
the way of the law of Christ. So you get that? <laughs> that I hopefully made it clear enough. If somebody says to me, you know, what is your basis for being good as a Christian? I'm not going to bring up the Ten Commandments because those have been superseded by something greater, something that is God's law, the law of the new covenant, the law of Christ. That's what we're to live by. And you know what? God is not going to bring back the old covenant. Let me just take a few minutes to say this. There are some Christians that I've talked to who said, uh, you got to send a lot of money into Israel today. And I'm not against the Israelites in any way. God loves the Israelites. We do too. But they think that somehow we've got to build a new temple in Jerusalem. So you got to send in your donations. A lot of Christian churches are, talk a lot about, you know, how Jesus is going to return to his temple. And uh, so we got to build this new temple in Jerusalem and start the Levites again and start the sacrifices again. That couldn't be more wrong or far from the truth. The temple Jesus is going to return to is the church. He told us we are the temple of God. Amen. That's the temple he's going to return to. And God's purpose is not to reinstate the old covenant along with priests and sacrifices. God is not going back to that. And I've talked to some Christians who say, well, you know, we got to teach all these non-believers what Jesus' sacrifice means, and they got to start uh, sacrificing some of their own animals. And, you know, God is not going back to that. The old covenant is gone. The new covenant has been established. The Levitical priesthood is gone. God's not going to reinstate it. Some people might try to do it on their own, but it's not of God. There's a new covenant we're living under. It's based on the law of Christ. We look to him as our Savior. His sacrifice on the cross was once for all, for all the human race. Okay, So God is not going to take us back by the hand and try to make us Jews again, uh, conforming to the old covenant 613 laws. Those are gone. God is sticking with the new covenant. He's sticking with Jesus Christ as the high priest. And Jesus Christ does not require animal sacrifices. Amen. He requires the sacrifice of a broken heart, a repentant spirit. We're to be living sacrifices. We're not going to be killing dead animals or killing animals anymore. So don't let preachers on TV try to lead you in that direction. What's done is done. We're part of the new, which is so much better than the old. Amen. As we prepare for the uh, communion service now, we know that when we come up to the table, we are rededicating ourselves to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And don't forget, as we read, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we put our trust in him as our Savior, our soon coming King, that pleases God. That's an important and deep way of expressing our love for God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. So we have the opportunity to do that. As I said earlier, Jesus, when he instituted this meal at the Last Supper, said, this is the cup of the new covenant. So I hope no, none of us think that we're still being under the terms of the old covenant or a part of the rules of the do's and don'ts. 
He's given us something much better to live by. And he indwells us so that we are capable of doing it. We don't do it perfectly, but uh, we're growing and we're maturing as Christians. So we know again that the bread represents Jesus' broken body, which he gave for us on the cross. The fruit of the vine represents his shed blood, which was all a part of his total sacrifice for our sins. Uh, what we couldn't do when it came to the old covenant law, which God knew in advance that mankind couldn't do, he fulfills the role. He fulfilled everything that we tried to accomplish by keeping the old covenant law. But he saved us by his grace because he loves us. So when we come up, we're showing our appreciation for that, our rededication to that, and uh, just praying that he continues to strengthen us to the day that he returns or that we meet him in heaven first.